Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No Podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to The Know with me, Nikki Spo, and today we are talking about relationships. Yup, marriage, but also partnership in general and how the Gottman Method, which I've implemented in my own life, can help your relationship. Today, we have Jamie Morgan on the show. Jamie Morgan is a certified life coach and a Gottman Method trained relationship coach. Combining her academic and past personal experiences of her struggles with a failed marriage, Jamie has a huge passion for helping unfulfilled and divorced women and couples to thrive in their lives and relationships again through action-oriented coaching. Jamie is now married to the love of her life and she lives in Canada, British Columbia with her husband and two sons. Jamie Morgan helps women to transition into the best chapter of their lives through gaining authentic confidence and letting go of their pasts. She also helps guide couples into their own version of easy love where they can experience healthy communication, conflict resolution that can bring them closer together and that spark like when they first met. Yes, that sounds so good. We are going to talk about all of that today in this super helpful and informative episode. So get ready to take some notes and let's dive right in with Jamie Morgan. Well, Jamie Morgan, welcome to The Know with me, Nikki Spo. I'm really excited to have you on and um, I'm really interested in your experience with the Gottman Method and how you've been able to apply that to your own life, but also help so many people in the process um, through this form of therapy. So can you, let's start by having you explain a little bit about what the Gottman Method actually is. The Gottman Method, to sum it up, really focuses on resolving conflict communication and connection, kind of intimacy, right? And they have all of their tools that they've they've built over the years of longitudinal scientific studies of relationships and it works. It's amazing. So, so the Gottmans are a married couple, right? They are. They're a married couple, John and Julie Gottman. They're in Seattle and they have been doing this for decades and this is what intrigued me the most was the science behind it, right? And they, like I had mentioned previously, these longitudinal studies that they did on actual couples who were married and they would study them in their love lab in Seattle. And they would study the things that healthy couples do, like when their relationships are lasting, what are the things they're actually doing? What are the behaviors that they're sharing with each other that are leading to their relationships lasting versus what are the things that they're not doing or doing that are causing the breakdown of the relationship? My husband and I have actually done Gottman therapy and it's like, so I don't know if I, if I told you this, but like right when we got married, I think somebody gifted us or gifted me um, like the DVD set of the Gottmans. Right. And I was like, I don't need this. I put it in the corner. I'm like, whatever, you know, and then years of marriage go by and like kids and I'm like, maybe we should try this out. Right. So um, we had an opportunity to work with a Gottman therapist here in Miami who has been tremendously helpful and we've learned a lot. And so like one of the things that, well, really two of the things that stood out to me the most were the seven pillars of marriage that make that successful marriage work. And then also like the four horsemen, which is what can really take a marriage or a partnership down. So let's start with the positive. Let's um, kind of go over what the seven pillars of the of marriage are. 
And these are something like for your listeners, you're going to hear them and it's, it's going to resonate. They're things that like it, it makes sense, right? So the first one is they call it sharing love maps or love mapping. And it's just really knowing your partner's inner world, understanding what really matters to them, what their dreams are, what their goals are, and and learning and continuing that throughout our relationship, right? So sharing those love maps. The second one is nurturing the fondness and admiration. So that's like the friendship and the connection and coming to the relationship in a really positive mindset and positive way so that you can turn towards each other. And so to me, that's like, it's a term that Gottman's use a lot is turning towards, but it's explanatory. If you can imagine yourself and your partner and you are maybe having a tense conversation, if you lean in and hold your partner's hand, that is one small example of turning towards, right? So it's sort of those small gestures that can lead to huge impact in our in our relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. The third one is turning towards. So it's again with that fondness and admiration, the turning towards, it's doing that and recognizing it daily, not just to build that fondness and admiration, but to realize how impactful it can be when you're having conflict, when you're having an argument, because we all create these negative habits in our relationship. It's it's human nature. We go down that path. And so making sure with intention that we are not, you know, essentially turning our backs, even if it's energetically on our partner. I mean, that seems like like it's really heavy, right? Like it takes a lot of intention. It's a choice. Like you hear all the time in like relationships and all the memes that are out there and all like the self-help stuff that love is love is a choice, right? Like and love is an action and it's a choice that you have to make every day. Like it marriage is hard. Like marriage is very hard. Like being with the same person all the time and like going through the ebbs and flows of life and the personal growth and the personal changes and career changes and kids and everything, that's not easy to do. So, I mean, I think in a perfect world, in a vacuum, we want to think that it's easy to do because, you know, like we grew up believing this fairy tale that like all you need is love, right? And like to an extent, okay, yeah, sure. Like all you need is love, right? We In a perfect world, we want to come to every situation with a mindset of love. But the reality is that like we have everyday elements at play here. And love has to be a choice, like a daily choice. And the actions that are associated with love have to be a daily choice, even when you don't feel like it. I think even more so, right? Like when you don't feel like it. I'm not the expert, you're the expert, but. It is a choice. And I think we have to become really intentional about it. I think we have to realize that there's so many things, unfortunately, working against us in our society, in our busy, busy lives, kids. Like it, they're beautiful things, but it just it can naturally lead to us getting more and more distant, right? So when we when we learn the tools so that we know what to do to to come into it intentionally and to start being very conscious of our own behaviors, because that's the only person we can really truly change is ourselves, right? that's where we can take some ownership and prevent the breakdown that leads to divorce. And it, it reminds me, you know, my parents have inspired me over the years. They're gone now, but they were married 64 years. We had an unbelievable marriage that in many ways was just a beautiful serendipity. But what I learned from them, and I've, I termed this, I coined this term easy love and to me, that's, it's not that it's easy. It's not easy. I have a lot of people go, what do you mean easy love? It's not easy. It's not. But I want to give you the tools. And I believe that a lot of these tools through Gottman are what 
can create a love that feels more easy. So I hosted someone, her name is Susie Moore on the show a while ago, and her book is called Let It Be Easy. So I love this concept of like letting life be easy for you. Like, like you know, taking the shortcut is sometimes the long route. When we try to take the shortcuts in life, that winds up take taking us much longer than if we just did the hard work like from the beginning. It's so- like the, somebody told me that I think I'm mean, I feel like I'm messing it up, but it's like the the hard work is actually the shortcut. And don't we wish that we could have learned that when we were 20 or 25 and just getting into relationships, but you know, and that's how I've gotten to this point in my life and being so passionate about relationships and personal growth, because I really do feel that it's the work we do in ourselves that is the greatest work we can do in our relationship. And if I had, you know, I've learned these things along the way through the trials and errors. And I guess that's part of like my mission is to share it so that hopefully at least one or two people out there doesn't have to go through it the hard way. And they can start taking action now. I love that. So let's keep on this trajectory of easy love through these seven um, pillars of marriage. So just to recap for now, we have number one is sharing the love maps. Number two is fondness and admiration. And number three, you just covered was turning towards each other. What is the next pillar of the seven pillars of marriage? It's letting your partner influence you. Wow. So accepting influence. And that was one when I first heard it, it was like my my head exploded a little bit because I was like, oh, because I don't know if you are as stubborn as I am, but I'm I'm most stubborn, right? And especially with our partners. I mean, it's sad, true that probably more so with my partner than anybody else. Exactly. And so I think it's coming into it really consciously, choosing to hear and listen our partner a little differently and allowing them to influence you. And, and what they really say is to have influence, you have to be willing to be influenced. And so it's, it's, it's really, it can shift your mindset when you go into it intentionally that way. I'm having like a moment because a couple weeks ago I, I ran an episode that it was a solo episode. I don't, I don't do them. I host more guests than I do solo episodes, but it was a solo episode in which I discussed the, the name of it was who's influencing you. And I went through this like list of people in my life that are influencing me. And I, I admitted, I'm like, God right now is not at the, like, the center of my life, right? That I believe in. I have, a, I have a relationship with the higher power of my understanding. And if I'm honest, like how much influence do I even, am I even willing to accept from my partner? You know, like where does that fall on the scale? So it's just wild that we're even talking about this now because I was, this has just been on my mind. It's like, being a person of influence, but also being willing to be influenced. And the thing that this, this isn't necessarily Gottman related, but I think it's very applicable is if you've ever dove into the concept of masculine and feminine energies, especially when it comes to relationships, it is pushing us to see that both, and it's not a gender related thing, masculine we all have both, but it's allowing yourself to flow in and out of both because you can be more easily influenced when you're in your feminine versus masculine, right? And just sort of being conscious of that and like sitting back and allow, and it's also part of, to me, it's, it's part of listening. It's, it's actually choosing to hear what your partner has to say and showing enough respect, which that can really be hard when you are in a time of intense conflict 
But again, that's where it comes where you can get purposeful as you learn these tools to show up differently and, and, and make a choice to try and listen more and allow your partner to influence you differently. How can we do that? Like, how can we sh- listen more? Like, in, in my understanding, it's like I try to repeat what I hear, right? I'm like, I'm hearing, I do things like saying, okay, so I'm hearing you say XYZ. Did I get that right? Yes, that's, I, I coach a lot of couples through that. So that's beautiful. A technique of of that reflective speaking with your partner, which can really slow down uh, an escalating argument. And it also helps us to realize how much we don't always hear what our par- partner actually said. We hear what we, because our brain, our brain is translating it differently, especially if our heart rates are up and we're, we're like, our heart rates are over 100 beats per minute. We're not thinking straight. So I think that it comes a lot, like I teach a lot about listening skills, which again, wouldn't it be brilliant if we all were taught this in school as kids, the actual, like how we can listen effectively to our partners by getting really curious. And again, it takes getting really grounded in yourself and going into these difficult conversations with the goal being to understand rather than being understood. We have to let go a little bit and have, and that takes trust. So it takes a lot of trust in your partner, which can be hard sometimes, right? But we, you know, we got to work through that. Trust that you will eventually be heard and that you will get your chance to speak how you feel. But if you go into it with the intention of wanting to understand your partner and to get really, really curious, there's this awesome like relaxation you'll see in your partner when they realize you genuinely care you genuinely listening it's almost like their body is like exhaling because they realize they don't have to be defensive and they're like oh like she cares she wants to hear or he cares he wants to hear what I have to say and it's really it starts this upward spiral with with communication where people can feel validated by their partner 100% I can totally relate to this and I think like a personal anecdote, like when I was growing up sometimes, and I'm sure other listeners can relate to this, but it's like, I remember feeling as a child, like if somebody asked, Oh, hold on. What's wrong here? What's, what's the matter here? It wasn't to be understood. It was to then be judged. Like I'd be like, well, I'm upset because you took my toy away. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, a silly example. Yeah. I deal with this with my toddlers. Right. (laughs) For sure, and it's like, well, you shouldn't be upset because your toy was taken away. You shouldn't be upset. There was like a judgment attached, right? There was an empathy and something like even on a on a parenting, which we're going to talk about later about how the Gottman method can serve us in all types of relationships. We're going to get to that, but an ex- a, a quick example of it now is like I try for the most part not to say that I'm a good like the best mom or anything, but it's something that I'm conscious and aware of, and I try to practice is like validating my toddler's emotions, right? I'm like, I know it's, it sucks to have your favorite toy taken away because of whatever. It's not a fun feeling like, and then go into why this is happening and validating their experience and still setting like a firm boundary about why the toy was taken away or whatever, you know, but really trying to validate like, because in my little toddler's world, like that feeling stinks. So if I ask him what's the matter and he tells me like, I build trust by holding space for him yes, and saying, I understand your perspective. That really is hard. That is so hard. And you're having to deal with these big feelings, but we're, we're willing to do that. I think for our children. And sometimes we forget that like 
our adult partners and our adult relationships really need that support, that that validation, that that space that's being held for them as well. Couldn't agree more. And I think the thing that I just came up for me as you were saying that is it's hard with our partners because we just have this natural, we want to just plead our case. And it's we seem to naturally come in and want to go head to head. Like, I have to prove it to you. I have to prove that I am right. It can be so connecting when you just have your partner hearing you. And that, you know, just as that sounding board, even if you don't agree, is because when we don't agree, our response is, well, I got to convince them and show them that they're wrong. And when we can let go of that agenda, then you see a massive shift happen. Okay. So we just covered accepting influence. We have five, six, and seven. What's up? The next ones are about the type of fights that we have, right? So it's solving your solvable problems and overcoming gridlock. So the two kinds of conflict that we have are solvable and perpetual. Mm -hmm. Perpetual are 69% of all of our fights, which is super interesting because they're essentially repetitive. We, and I think we can all like think of arguments. They have a root. Really, that maybe have little differences in them, but the root of what it is, whether it's about money, whether it's about sex, whether it's who knows, we tend to have these really common out, like common themes running through. And those are the ones that we're never going to solve. And so that's where it becomes so, so important to master the skills of communication and being able to have healthy dialogue that can actually bring you closer together rather than tearing you apart. And a part of that is learning how to surrender and accept what we were just talking about, that we were not the same. We are different. We have different opinions and that can be okay too. Right. Right. And then of course we've got the solvable problems, which it takes a healthy dialogue and healthy conversation to be able to listen, have the conversation and come up with a, with a solution that feels good for both of you. So let's move into the last one. And this is one of my personal favorites is creating shared meaning, right? Creating shared meaning. And that one, you know, in our lives, we've got our schedules, we've got the kids, we've got jobs and you name it. And creating shared meaning is, is separate from all of that. It's, it revolves around the rituals and the shared goals that we have as couples, right? And that is something, it's actually ironically just yesterday I was speaking to a couple about this because you have to be able to have individual goals and dreams. Those are equally as important, but to have things that you share together because it creates this healthy environment within your relationship that makes it different from all your other relationships. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just like roommates. But when you share yep. common dreams and goals and where you have rituals that are just for you as a family or as a couple, those are what create that shared meaning and that bonds us so tightly together. This conversation is so good. But before we keep going, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. 
I, I think like when we go to a marriage therapist or a marriage counselor, you're going in because you like generally like want to fix an issue or like find that you're having a problem. You guys are stuck in this one space and we're here to work it out with the guidance of a professional, right? I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful when couples are able to do that. And I'm so happy to see more and more couples just like taking ownership and and stepping into that space where they're like, okay, I want this to work with my partner. Like I want this to work with my partner. We don't have the tools for whatever reasons. We weren't taught them. We weren't demonstrated them when we were growing up, whatever. So we're here to go get the tools. One of the things that I find that I face a lot is dealing with the concept of the four horsemen, right? And um, because we're, if everything was peachy keen, like we might not have wound up in marriage therapy, right? If things were always perfect and everything was working, we might, like maybe you're going to go for like personal growth, fine, but like you're not going to solve problems. Like, so the issues that arise, at least in my world, are the four horsemen. Yeah. So let's talk about these four horsemen. And I bet every single person listening is going to be like scratching their head being like, oh shit, I do that. (laughs) I totally do that on occasion. And we t- and, and that's the thing is is we spoke about it before, but it's we create habits. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and so we can see ourselves maybe in more than one of them, but we definitely you'll have one that really stands out for you. But the four horsemen: it's criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And they are what shows up when you know when trouble comes. When- so wait, say that again: criticism, contempt. Defensiveness, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Okay, what is stonewalling? I mean, to me, I love this one because it's exactly what it sounds. If you can imagine in your mind the vision of someone building a wall between two people, you're 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 energetically doing that with your partner, whether it's avoiding conflict or withdrawing or distancing yourself, right? And so it can really. It happens a lot with people, you know, your people who do the silent treatment or, or they, you just, the breakdown in communication, you stop talking about it. You refuse to have those conversations because you don't want to entertain it anymore. That can all be, you know, forms of stonewalling. And okay. So criticism is, I mean, it's a little bit more obvious where you can be a hypercritical and hypervigilant, right? Yeah. Over your partner's mistakes or shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, and verbally attacking and, you know, predominantly attacking their character. And, and get, you know, and I think, again, it can come down. It starts often with petty nitpicking. And then it can get worse and worse. And like I say, getting more into a person's character after that. But it shows up. And then, so defensiveness, I mean, and you can tell me if I have this right. Like defensiveness is like if you're being presented with an issue and then, like rather than like doing what we talked about, like listening openly, actually like just defending your point on why you did it. Yeah. And you're victimizing, victimizing yourself. Oh, wow. Right? What? You're, yeah. And it's. That sounds okay. That sounds counterintuitive. So like, let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah. When you're, when you like, it's poor me, I don't deserve this. Look at all the things I do. Look what I've done. I don't, I, you know, and it's like, I, I didn't do that. And you get defensive. We, we start to prove our point and we build our list of why we don't deserve this, right? For most couples that I talk to and that I've seen in my own relationships, I think it's, it shows up the most often. It's kind of a knee jerk. And that's what I said. Like when we start having these difficult conversations, it's so 
quickly habitual for us to go into, okay, well, I am feeling attacked. Therefore, I need to prove to you all the reasons why this is you're wrong and I'm right. And I'm going to lay it out for you, right? And so the antidote to that one, like, is taking responsibility rather than going into all the reasons that you don't deserve this. Okay. And then the last of the four horsemen is contempt, which my person, my therapist always says that that's like the, like one of the most dangerous ones. Um, and I actually didn't even know what contempt was like when I, when I learned about it. So what is contempt? Well, contempt is like insulting. It can be abusive. Um, I always imagine it where like I envisioned this. I always have everything's very visual in my mind for me, but it's like that disgusting eye roll of where you almost say, I, f- I freaking hate you. Like, I don't even like you, like that feeling, you know, that to me is a really good description of contempt and how it feels for people. And it is, it's the most dangerous. And it's the one out of all the four horsemen that is the biggest predictor of divorce. So it's all, is it also like a feeling of superiority? Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I mean, again, when you look at the antidotes to each of them, the things that can help if you're finding yourself in that pr- position is appreciation and gratitude wow. and yeah. showing up. And I think a lot of that comes down to mindset. So you've been, you've mentioned the word antidote a couple of times. So the, we, okay. So like the antidote to, right, a solution to contempt can be appreciation, like forcing ourselves to like put stop action and appreciate rather than like hold somebody beneath us. 100% and respect. I think that is something, that word in itself for me brings me back to when you're at the worst, when you feel like your relationship is at rock bottom, it's like coming back to showing respect, right? purposely finding and thinking of the things that are actually working and pulling out the positive, which can be really difficult when things are, have gone sideways, right? Totally. But it takes that conscious shift. And that's why I said mindset before, you've got to be very purposeful of choosing to find the things that you love about your partner, even if it's as simple as like, how they pour you a coffee in the morning, like mm-hmm. finding those little things that actually are helping rather than de- causing deterioration. Cause it's, it's natural for us when things are hard, we focus on the things that are hard and that aren't right. Working. And then it's just, it spirals. It's built negative builds on negative, right? So you got to get yourself out of that loop and choose to see what is actually working. You know, what's so funny, Jamie, is that like for a while I was going to therapy so much, like personal individual therapy. Right. And like, I got to the point where my life was feeling so good, but then I was, and it was talk therapy. Like it was just like talk, regular talk therapy that I eventually was like, you know what? I need to stop. I need to stop coming to therapy because like, I actually feel worse. I come out here and then I start to like, look for the problems in my life. I was going so much and I was like actually applying these tools that I was learning into my life. My life was improving. But then every time I would go once a week or whatever to my therapy session, I'd be like, well, what problems can I tell you about today? And so I would find that I'm like, oh no, I'm now I'm looking for the problems just so I can go. Maybe I should take a a break from going to the therapist or go like maybe not every week. Maybe now I can check in once every couple of weeks. Maybe I go once a month, you know, and those are the ebbs and flows of life, right? Like there's going to be months in your life where you more, more stuff gets stirred up, Mm -hmm. right? 
But like in the season of life where things are going well, like I think it's really good to still check in for your mental health, but also have a conscious awareness of like, okay, am I looking for problems? Am I now stirring more up by like, by just needing to get to, to talk about things and create more issues for myself? It's so true. And I, I think that it's so healthy to vent and it's so necessary to feel our feelings and process them. But I think we have to really be mindful of that fine line of where it is not serving us anymore. And that's that part of where can I feel the feelings, have a good cry, be angry, whatever, resentment, all the things. But at some point, we have to stop, come back into the present moment and choose how we want our future to look. And I think that that is a really good example of that negative breeding on negative. And it's um, kind of also reminded me of a little bit of the, and this is, it's not about positive or negative, good or bad, but the difference between coaching and therapy, right? And I am a coach and I really believe in taking where you are right now, whether it be in your relationship or your personal growth, where are you right now? Where do you want to be? And then I fill in the gaps of taking action steps moving forward so that you can actually reach whatever that dream or goal is. And typically, and this is a really textbook definition, but therapy, counseling tends to look at where you are right now and let's figure out how you got here. And, and, and that serves such a huge purpose. And that's what I mean. Like, it's so important to talk, vent, get it out, feel those feelings. But I think it's knowing that fine line, like you did, you had that moment where you were like, whoa, I think this isn't helping me anymore because I'm focusing so much on what's going wrong. So it's sort of having that healthy, combination of both, I guess, right? Where you can come back into that moment now and choose moving ahead rather than continually focusing on what's going wrong or what went wrong in your past. In my earlier days of doing therapy, I was like, why am I the way I am? Right? Like, why do I do this? Like, so I had to go back into my past and like uncover some really difficult things that I encountered as a little girl, you know, and I had to heal those wounds I, that was necessary for me. I had to heal those wounds, right? Okay, but now, okay, it, like, and I still, still to this day, I'm like, okay, good. I'm, I healed those wounds, but now what? Now what do I do? Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying about coaching is like somebody who's giving you like tangible tools. Of, okay, like what's next? Like this is an action step you can take rather than an uncovering process of what has gone on before. But like, here are the action st steps you can take. Okay, this happens in your life. This is how you can address it. You see, and then we get to practice it. We get to put it into a practice and like see almost through trial and error of like how those tools can benefit us in our lives moving forward. Exactly. And I think that that is a huge part of when I got into coaching, you know, I think we all do our own individual style of how we work, right? And I really took what I felt was missing in the therapy I'd had. It had its purpose. It was amazing. But I always left going, but what do I do? I wanted an answer. And I'm not saying that I give people answers and tell them exactly what to do, but I give them the tools to heal themselves and help them move forward reaching their goals through taking actionable steps. And that was because exactly it came from leaving therapy sessions and we talked about it all, but now what? What do I do? How do I change it? Like we know why it is, but how do I get out of it, right? And that is something that from the beginning of my coaching career that I really wanted to do differently um, for my clients that I work with is to 
sort of, I call it action-oriented coaching to guide them into action steps, step-by-step that slowly but surely lead them towards in the direction of their goals. So how did you arrive in this space? Like I heard you say that you wanted to be able to provide something that was like missing in the therapy field. Yes. You thought could be beneficial, but like, how did you even arrive in that space? Had you been practicing Gottman before? Were you in therapy? I know that you're, you're married now and you, you do, is it, is your spouse a Gottman practitioner as well? He's doing his training right now. Yeah. So, yeah okay. That's really cool. Are to continue doing this work together as we move mm-hmm. forward. Um, but yeah, I, I John and Julie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have always been attracted to therapy. I put myself in therapy as like, I think it was like 13. So I, it's, which makes me laugh looking back. I think it's great, but it's just so clearly, it's so me, right? And so I, I love therapy. I did psychology at university and I carried on to be a massage therapist, which was totally left field. Um, But I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to, in some capacity, get into coaching, therapy, whatever. But at the time, I didn't even know what coaching was. When I did discover the world of life coaching, I got certified in my level one and two here in Canada. And then I carried on with Gottman because in my previous marriage, so I am the relationship and personal growth coach who is divorced (laughs) and remarried though. So what I love about it is I've been there. I get it. I've seen anything and everything that anyone comes to me with. I feel like I can go, oh yeah, I've been there too. But I was married for 13 years and we had two beautiful boys. We have two beautiful boys, Charlie and Oliver, and it didn't work. I mean, we went through probably even, I think we started therapy, couples therapy when we weren't even married yet. And our therapist just so happened to be Gottman trained. So I was immediately attracted to it. And I mean, the reality in my world is I do 100%. And I actually believe that my ex-husband would agree that the Gottman method helped us tremendously. And we learned so much and we did heal so much and continue on that path for 13 years of marriage. Unfortunately, he had a really scary cancer diagnosis about a year and a half before we split. And it just, anybody who's been through cancer, um, it doesn't only affect the person who has cancer, it affects the family. And we, it was stressful, but to be honest, I, I did not see it coming. I felt, if anything, I felt like it was, it was bringing us closer together. Um, long story short, after a year and a half of his cancer, he very abruptly sort of ended our marriage, not sort of, he, he ended our marriage, but it was very, shocking to me. And so it was a really like rock bottom time in my life. And I guess, you know, I, we had talked, you and I previously just about Gottman method and this idea that did, what do you think? Do you think it didn't work? I do think it worked. I think that the, you know, the, the end of our marriage was related to outside factors and him really coming to terms with his cancer and his health and his life. And I can't judge that because obviously it was painful for me, but I was, I'm not in his shoes and I have to honor the choices he feels he needed to make to be able to live his life as authentically as he can. 
that's much easier to say now that it's been four and a half years, right? That's hard at first. Right. <laughs> but well, I mean, there's so many things at play here, like yeah. the way that affects your self-worth, the effort that you've done, like what you've put into the marriage up until that point. But I think it's, I mean, objectively, and again, I am not the expert, I am not the professional, but from that outside perspective of just of being a person, it's a huge testament to how much you loved each other that you're able to show him the grace. Um to make that decision without so much hatred in your heart or resentment. Resentment, I mean, is poison for our bodies. Yes. And again, like I'm sure at the time you might have had that resentment and anger and all this stuff, you know, bottling up as a reaction to that reality. But to to I th- I just think it's a beautiful testament to your ability to love and and perhaps forgive. Yes. For you to be able to like move through that space and take everything that you've learned as a, a trained professional and apply it to your own growth and healing. Thank you. And I, I like, don't get me wrong. I went through every emotion possible. The first and primary emotion was just complete devastation. Yeah. But I, from, I, you know, this is something that very quickly after became like almost a month, mantra mantra for me was if I'm not okay, my kids aren't okay. Amen to that. I understand it. That was honestly what got me through the most difficult times was I, and not in a fake way, not in a false. I get it. Like toxic positivity, like not like put put a bumper sticker on be positive. No, I get it. It, But in the sense of I'm going to use this to and learn and grow from it. And I think that's so important in all the negative things that we experience in our, li- in our lives because we're all going to experience hard things on different levels, right? And it's what can I learn from this? And the biggest thing I do is I've got to dive in. I've got to like, what is in me that needs to be healed to be able to do this the right way? And yeah. it just showed up over and over. If I'm not okay, my kids aren't okay. And part of that, actually, it was my therapist. She said to me and. and he just, cause of course my biggest worry was my kids. How, mm-hmm. like, how, this is going to screw them up and how are they going to be functional, normal humans after all this and whatever. And he said, Jamie, kids are resilient. Your kids will be okay. Especially if you don't put them in the middle and make them choose and don't, you know, talk negatively about each other. And sometimes that was hard, especially in the beginning that like, there, you know, you have a lot of hurt happening and, but I held true to that and I just see it. It's been four and a half years and I have been able to let go of the resentment and the hurt and, you know, the sadness and be able to see that it is what has allowed me to grow into who I am now, what I'm doing now. And then like ultimately to be with Justin, who is my now husband and it's just created a different family dynamic. And I, you know, I, I really believe in kind of rewriting the narrative on divorce. Mm, I think mm-hmm. I don't want to also just highlight divorce. Like it, like it's something wonderful, but it's not all bad. And if we can choose to see it as an opportunity for growth for all of us and the potential for our children to have more people to love them and love them in different ways and to be able to have more empathy and understanding for others going through similar things, then let's do it. And I just, I think you have to really rise to the challenge. 
That's really beautiful. That's really beautiful, Jamie. I have a, a friend and also a former guest. Her name is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak. She wrote the book called Moms Moving On. Yeah. And um, something that she spoke about on on the episode was like putting your kids in the center of the decisions, not in the middle, right? Like not making them in, putting them in the middle where they're having to be in the middle of two parents, but actually both parents putting them in the center of their decision-making, and I thought that was really insightful, that slight different differentiation between the middle and the center, right? That they are actually what we're doing this for. And she also says like, I mean, if she's targeted towards women, like that's her whole thing is mom's moving on. It's not dad's moving on. So she speaks like from the perspective yeah. of the woman because she is a woman who did it. But um, her thing is like, your kid doesn't need a married mommy. Your kid needs a happy mommy. You know, the same thing for your kid doesn't need a married daddy. Like your child needs a happy daddy who can take care of the child. And so your children really need two individual caretakers who are, you know, or one, you know, if that's what the circumstance is, mm -hmm. um, who are peace at peace with themselves, happy, whole, learning, growing so that they can be in the best position to care for their, their offspring. Yes, totally. And I, something I, 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 really wanted to show my kids is that it's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. And so I didn't hide it from them. I want to be clear. I didn't drown them in it either. I tried my best to really be conscious of my, how I was showing up emotionally, but it was okay if they saw me teary because yeah. they knew. And I would say too, cause I'm also happy. And even during hard times, I am allowed to be happy and we can feel too very yeah. opposite emotions at the exact same time. And that's okay. Yeah. And so it was actually really a cool opportunity to teach my kids how to feel what they're feeling, which I wasn't taught as a kid. So I think totally. it's a gift. I mean, like the narrative for so long was like, don't ever let your kids see you cry. Right. And I'm like, no, I want them to see that I can overcome difficult things and big feelings. Like I want to be a model for them to do that. Yeah. And I've got two boys. And so that was it's yeah, totally very important to me to let them know that it's okay to feel what they're feeling. Earlier, you mentioned like the masculine and feminine. Part of the toxic patriarchy is also that we teach our boys that it's not okay to feel and, and like honor their own feminine side and like what it means to be a man and be tough and don't cry. And if you get hurt and what it means to be masculine, right? That we're doing a disservice to boys everywhere by not holding space for them to be vulnerable and feel their feelings. And so they grow up to be these men who are jilted and don't know how to communicate their big feelings and don't honor their, their, their internal experience, you know? And I think that we're seeing a shift now in today's world where we are beginning and it's so important to hold space for young boys and men to have that feminine side of them and to honor their inner world and their inner experiences so that they can be that, right? Like they, they can go into the world and be like ha more happy and whole and fulfilled. Exactly. My husband actually, he's a high school teacher and he teaches sociology and psychology. And this is a huge topic that he, and I think it's beautiful to have a man teaching men, like young men and women in grade 12, right. 11 in school about this kind of stuff. And he's had more boys and girls but on the topic of like this man up kind of thing in our society come to him with such appreciation 
for acknowledging. And it was almost like he gave them permission. Permission. 100%. To feel and to have those emotions with an understanding very like in a really full way that that doesn't matter. It doesn't make you, I don't want to say all the negative names that come up in our, you know, in our culture, but it's like, it can be, you can be called all the negative names, especially in high school with kids. Right. Right. And Soft. Like that's a gentle word yeah. <laughs> compared to to like some of the other bad words that we can call people, but soft, right? Like, cause boys aren't supposed to be soft. And isn't this interesting? Cause I love how this ties into relationship work because yeah. this to me is a huge part of what causes such a disconnect in the couple mm -hmm. and in my own relationships that I've seen. It's that, like I say, we were never taught how to communicate, but especially, and I don't want to stereotype, but I think it's relatable especially boys, women are naturally, it's just, it's just human nature. We're born a little bit more community, like with abilities to communicate. And we're taught to also right. like we're taught like from birth and men, it's, it's your, you do, you do, you do, you right. do. it's action, action, action. And so with couples, it's like you, there's no shame in admitting that you don't know how to do this. And, and that was something huge to me. It's like to be able to sit and go, I, I feel like I suck at this. Like, yeah. and it's the reality is sometimes we all do, but yeah. when you can learn these really seemingly simplistic tools, they're, they're simple in like, when you see them on paper, putting them into action, you realize that it is a little more complex because we've got emotions and everything tied into that. But realizing that if we have tools to help us learn and we become, make it a choice to learn how to do it differently, just like you would go take a course I don't know, go to cooking school to learn how to cook, learn how to communicate with your partner and make it so that your relationship can not only last a lifetime, but that it can feel good. And coming back to that, like letting it be easy and like that easy love that you were talking about and that you've coined, you've coined this turning. And so I, um, I work a program of recovery and something that I hear all the time in, in the meetings that I go to is that this is an easy program for complicated people. Yes. Like this is an easy solution yeah. for complicated individuals. Like we are very complicated. The solution can sometimes be very simple and very straightforward. Yeah. Um, but we, our inner worlds, our inner working, like the things we've experienced, those are the complicated things that we have to push through to like get to that space of ease and grace and and ultimately like of, of joy and really enjoyment. Exactly. I mean, one of the most, when I ask my clients at the end, you know, of our time together, what was the most effective thing? What was the thing that you will take with you for life? And majority of them are like, oh, it's the um, daily check-in or it's the Gottman calls it the weekly check-in. I have changed it to the daily check-in because I do believe that most clients that come to see me are in a bit of a more intense space within their relationship and it needs to be daily. But it feels so forced and it might feel hard in that way but at the same time it is so simple it's like just you schedule in anything else in your life your kids soccer games your doctor's appointments whatever schedule in a five-minute conversation it doesn't have to take an hour five minutes a day schedule it in with your partner where you sit down eliminate distractions and you talk about your relationship, what's working and what's not working in a safe space. So you go into it intentionally. You know, we're not here to fight. We're here to listen to each other. Each have a chance to speak. And you can imagine if you did that every day, nothing builds. 
it eliminates so much opportunity for these big explosions because you're talking about stuff all the time. And you're also practicing communicating. So you're practicing, you're practicing. these skills over and over again. Which, the better you get, right? It's like the more you practice it, the better you're going to get. Right. And it's so simple, right? Like none of that on paper is hard. Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I feel like we just gave our listeners like a world of knowledge to go off of. I hope that everybody took notes because I feel like everything that we covered from the beginning, from the seven pillars of marriage to the four horsemen, to like creating ease in your relationships and your lives. I mean, all of the topics that we've covered today have just been super powerful and I think can be really helpful. And I think Jamie, if we helped one person today, then we did our job. Yeah. I agree. Thank you so much for having me. I So where can people find you? I am at the Jamie Morgan on Instagram, Jamie Morgan mm-hmm. Coaching on Facebook. And if you want to join me in my free Facebook group, The Abundant Life, um, you'll get a really good idea of what I'm about, what I do, and you can always reach me through there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you for having me. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you so much for listening to The No. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The No. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The No with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams.